Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Money and me on your money. Only on Money FM 89.3. Hi, Michelle Martin. Welcome to Money and Me. Twitter is banning Trump, and that ban has wiped out five billion U.S. dollars from their market cap. So, what does this mean for Twitter and Facebook moving ahead? The U.S. has approved a Bitcoin ETF. What does this mean for the prices of Bitcoin, which we have seen spike to meteoric highs and then crash almost twenty percent down in recent days? We speak to Arun Pai, Chief Strategy Officer at Flow, for his read of the markets. Good morning, Arun. Good morning, Michelle. How are you? I'm doing really well. Thanks for joining us again. So Trump has been impeached for the second time. Uh, what do you think a second Trump impeachment possibly means for the stock market? Do, do, is it negligible because these are the final days of Trump? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like the first one, it's largely symbolic, right? Uh, everyone knew that the Democrats would vote for it. Uh, Republicans mostly would be against. The interesting thing this time around, though, is from the previous uh, impeachment turn, where only one Republican said uh, to, that they were in favor of the impeachment, this time there were 10. And that is obviously on the back of the whole Jan 6th riots, and especially the way that Trump decided uh, to you know, talk to the public about how he was not going to condemn the riots literally until a couple of hours ago. The bottom line is, you know, Senate two-thirds uh, voting for impeachment is going to be highly unlikely. And that would have to have be the first step before the next vote that can take place of potentially not letting him run for presidency the second time around. Mm. So given the timeline, given the whole nature of it, uh, the markets have obviously shrugged off the news, uh, purely symbolic. So I think it's going to be, you know, pretty much status quo. But from the perspective of politics, though, it is quite, you know, a difficult spot for Republicans, to be honest, right? Because at the end of the day, you did have 75 million people, give or take, still vote for Trump. Mm. And sure, there were only two options, Biden or Trump, but mm -hmm. even then. Uh, so I think it's going to be quite a difficult uh, spot for them. And uh, hopefully the grand eventual outcome of this will be more people are willing to uh, reach across the middle, talk to their counterparts on the other side of the House, Senate, and try to get some proper bills and stuff passed because the U.S. and the rest of the world definitely needs a more cohesive uh, American presence. Absolutely. All eyes, of course, on the inauguration a week away from that, so to speak. And um, there are worries about political uncertainty still, particularly the threat of violence. Let's hear a little bit of Trump talking about security around the inauguration. There has been reporting that additional demonstrations are being planned in the coming days, both here in Washington and across the country. I have been briefed by the U.S. Secret Service on the potential threats. Every American deserves to have their voice heard in a respectful and peaceful way. That is your First Amendment right. But I cannot emphasize that there must be no violence, no law-breaking, and no vandalism of any kind. Everyone must follow our laws and obey the instructions of law enforcement. 
Okay, so a couple of messages there, kind of mixed messaging, saying it's important to have your voice heard, but he doesn't stand for violence. Um, but there have been reports circulating of an FBI bulletin speaking of potential riots in all 50 capitals one week from today near the inauguration. So even with this, the possibility of violence, Arun, markets not reacting to this uncertainty? Uh, I mean, Michelle, you're absolutely spot on, right? Uh I'm potentially taking a slightly more optimistic view that given the scenes that everyone across the world saw on Jan 6th, security will be beefed up exceptionally so across the different capitals of the state, but especially so in Washington, D.C., where Biden himself will be physically present and Trump will not. That's obviously the big question mark, wherein if this violence does actually materialize, and it escalates to the point of, you know, some serious damage, especially that of in Washington, D.C., then all bets are off, right? Then this becomes a completely different ballgame. And it's something that investors should be extremely concerned about. Absolutely. All right, let's switch gears a little bit. Investors seem to be focused on bond yields and interest rates. So low rates have underpinned the market's rise to record levels. But there seems to be a tug of war over whether the era of near zero interest rates is entering its last chapter, so to speak. Do you have your eye out on the action in the bond markets? So it's extremely difficult because there really isn't any juice left in that space Mm. unless you go down extremely risky. You've got to go down the risk curve all the way, right? Because when you have your 10-year and 30-year U.S. government bonds, which kind of sets the absolute floor of the yields, and they are trading at like 1% and 2 2.5% respectively, then for a bond investor to be able to get any kind of decent yield of even like say a three to 5%, even in like the 30 year segment, you've got to start going into pretty risky stuff. Like, you know, be be it Chinese property developers, uh, you've got to take like a lot of idiosyncratic risk of individual companies and extremely stretched balance sheets. And that's something that at least from my perspective, from a risk reward scenario, it just isn't worth it. I mean, you have something like $17 trillion worth of bonds that are actually providing negative yield, right? You're putting your money into something knowing fully well that you will be getting less money in the future on the back of it. But the problem is there's just so much capital sloshing around and there are basically mandates for a whole host of funds that are not allowed to invest into equities, that are not allowed to invest into properties, the only thing they can invest into are various government bonds. And if even uh, within the bond space, not government bonds, mm-hmm. sorry, but just bonds in general. Mm-hmm. And within the bond space, it has to be better rated than like a single A rating or some cases even like a double A rating. And then your yields just drop to basically like, you know, a couple of basis points over that of US govies. And that's just really not an attractive risk return scenario for most retail investors, I would say. All right. So the market seemed unfazed by the political uncertainty. We heard a good take there on what's going on with the bond market. Today, we're seeing a pullback with small cap stocks. Uh, Since news of the vaccine broke, small caps we know have been performing really well. Um, Do you think small cap financials appear overall, Arun, to be in a particularly strong position? I think that's the one segment because they've been left 
relatively untouched, I would say, by the uh, investing public in general, uh, there are pockets of values that can be identified over there. Mm. So, like, let's get it straight, right? Like last year, most of the gains were primarily led by large tech companies. And uh, be it a function of the nature of the COVID pandemic, coupled with the low interest rates that you were talking about, and of course, uh, the advent of our dear Robinhood investors, which are which whom tend to be typically more familiar with the larger consumer names, be it Zoom or Peloton or Google, Facebook, Amazon, etc. So a lot of money, and of course Tesla, a lot of money uh, went into those larger uh, names that had a lot of uh, consumer presence, I would say, and now. Given the turn of the year, uh, people are taking you know a look at their portfolios. They've realized they've achieved a very substantial amount of gains. Uh, maybe it's time to take some chips off the table. Uh, valuations have become quite frothy in many of those names, along of course with a lot of these news headlines that they've been reading regarding anti-monopolistic hearings across the U.S. and EU. Mm-hmm. And then you go about trying to find wh- which other avenues are there in the capital markets to be able to deploy capital. We talked about large tech names. Yes, money has been taken off a little bit over there. We talked about bonds a couple of minutes back. It is extremely difficult because people can see your headline returns are going to be like probably a couple of percent for the next 15, 20 years. The rest of the space is your smaller caps and your mid-cap names. The one thing that I would really like to caution uh, all your listeners, though, is when it comes to middle-cap and small-cap names, it Mm. becomes extremely imperative to truly understand what that company is, read through the balance sheet, read through the annual reports, uh, ensure that management is extremely trustworthy before making any investments, because there are a lot of cases of be it fraud or for that matter, even value traps, where just based on headline numbers, a company can look attractive. But when you start, you know, peeling those uh, layers of the onion of that company, uh, it's a completely different story. All right. Next question for you. Arun, are you going to ditch Facebook's WhatsApp for Signal? (laughs) (laughs) You know, first and foremost, I have to say, I think this is the great, uh, it's the you know front seat of every investor or person out there to see the value of the stickiness of a platform and why they have been such impressive capital return generators in the past five or 10 years, right? Because so when this news broke out, uh, more out of curiosity, I would say, than me being particularly concerned about my data being taken because I kind of knew that already. I downloaded Signal as well as Telegram. And WhatsApp, and then I started reading a little bit more about Signal especially, Mm. and uh, WhatsApp is technologically an inferior product to Signal. But it still doesn't make that much of a difference because it's a platform. There's stickiness involved. Most of your friends, most of your business contacts, Most work-related chats, group chats, are all on WhatsApp. Yep. So of, I don't know, my 30, 40 different group chats of work and personal, currently I have one on Telegram and zero on Signal, right? So mm-hmm. not, not to mention that this might 
this won't change slowly but steadily but i do truly feel that you know it just goes to show the power of these platforms that being said though you know talking a little bit about numbers because numbers is obviously important in finance <laughs> whatsapp just saw a 5 to 10% drop in terms of installation and they are still hitting over a million installations a day signal which was clocking in uh something like i think 50000 installations a day ramped up to a million installation so signal is kind of caught up to whatsapp in terms of installations on a daily basis mm. but yet it's not like people have you know completely uninstalled whatsapp and the thing has fallen off a cliff it's just the realization that platforms are quite sticky and they will be here to stay for quite a while unless something truly dramatic changes and i don't think that this is as dramatic a news as some headlines might have pointed up one thing though i would like to add and mm-hmm. this is like maybe two peripheral topics that i would love to touch on uh related to this first and foremost uh massive kudos to apple this is a phenomenal company with a fantastic product that sadly charges from a consumer perspective it sadly charges quite a large premium on their products but it puts privacy of the user at the absolute forefront and i think this is a trend that we might see evolve a lot more over the next 5 to 10 years contingent to the whole anti monopolistic uh, regulations of course but i think this is something that we will be seeing a lot more in the tech space the second on a slightly more lighter note mm-hmm. if we ever thought whether these financial markets are in a bubble or not simple example of when elon musk dear old mr elon uh, tweeted uh, to his followers to please use signal a company you know called signal advance basically rallied like from 60 cents all the way up to 80 dollars on an intraday basis oh. and this is completely unrelated to signal the app which is open source uh, it's not publicly traded you know this is a company signal advance that hasn't even filed uh its balance sheet <laughs> for the past 2 years right it's insane and the writing is on the wall right i i i promise you michelle if we are talking in 2 to 3 years time or whatever could be months could be years whatever it is this is going to be the story that people will look back and say oh my god we were definitely in a bubble back then <laughs> what were we thinking <laughs> i think you're absolutely spot on there i had to check signal advances um uh price right now people are waking up of course it's been days since that news broke and so uh, its price is down 15.7% and some news to $8.43 right now oh still, still over 15 times what it was prior to that tweet it just goes to show right because the markets are crazy sometimes absolutely it is Yeah, I know. I could just stand here and maybe I don't know, sing a song on a daily basis and uh, to explain the markets. Do you know what I mean? The, where's the logic sometimes, I think. Oh my gosh. All right. So, we are speaking with Arun Pai, Chief Strategy Officer at Flow. You're sticking to WhatsApp, not moving to Signal, huh? Because you know, I tried Signal and I I found it actually pretty clunky to that point of uh, it being technologically advanced. I found it really hard to send a message out. Um and Uh, what was it a video on signal 
Yeah. Uh, 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 apologies, yeah. Te- technologically more advanced in terms of UX, UI, mm. WhatsApp has got it down to the absolute perfection, right? Like Facebook, WhatsApp, you got to respect the, the, fa- the billions of dollars that have been spent in knowing exactly where your eyeball looks at when yeah. you look at your phone screen, where mm. the buttons should be, all of that stuff. Mm. Well, I think a perfect place to segue from your your um, brilliant argument for bubbles is to look at Bitcoin right now. So there is speculation that the U.S. could maybe within this year approve a Bitcoin exchange traded fund. And there's rumblings that if that happens, that could weigh on the digital coins price in the short term. JP Morgan thinks so. We've seen Bitcoin make a meteoric rise and then quite a pullback over the past couple of days. So what do you think? This U.S.-approved BTF, if it does happen, is it going to be a, um, a pillar that helps us understand the price of Bitcoin? I mean, honestly, Michelle, like, I, you know, like, as I've said many times on your show, uh, I'm staying well far away from this entire investment class space. Mm. That being said, though, uh, you know, Grayscale Bitcoin investment trust is something that I know a lot of my friends and I know a lot of people have put money in. This is something that is unregulated by the SEC. And if you actually go through their entire documentation, there are a lot of red flags that can be raised as to whether your money is actually safe and secure. With Grayscale? Being Sorry, with Grayscale, grayscale. you mean? That, that's that the world's correct. largest cryptocurrency fund, right? That is correct. Mm -hmm. But if you actually read through the the documentation Uh of what it says as to how it uh, custodizes the Bitcoin, uh, is it, and it's not even regulated by the SEC, Uh uh, what are the safety nets in place of ensuring that the Bitcoin stays safe over there? There are a lot of red flags. So from the perspective of if an investor is really keen to invest and stay invested in Bitcoin, I really do hope that there is some amount of regulation and the SEC does come in and sets up a legitimate investment trust or an ETF, whatever it might be, uh, to provide that avenue for investors to deploy money into. But that's where it becomes like a kind of a weird catch-22 situation, right? Because the whole purpose of Bitcoin investing was to ensure that you don't have regulation, (laughs) that you don't have any central authority, but when you're deploying, you know, tens of thousands of dollars as a retail investor or millions or billions of dollars as an institutional investor, you want to have some kind of regulatory overview to ensure that your money is not just being taken away and siphoned off somehow. The flip side to all of this mm-hmm. is uh, Christine Lagarde just came out as the head of the ECB saying that there are many interesting activities that are taking place with the usage of Bitcoin especially related to anti-money laundering. So we're in a really weird situation right now where as an asset class, if you want it, you know, a lot of people have been comparing it to digital gold. Fantastic. If that's the view of certain investors, but then it better be properly regulated. And the whole concept of this decentralization and anti-government and anti-central governing authority, that whole message is destroyed. So it's going to be, I think the way this is going to eventually turn out, sadly, is that given the massive amounts of money that can be sent across across borders in a completely anonymous fashion has sadly led to the utilization of this 
mm-hmm. in primarily nefarious activity. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, it really depends, you know, on how regulators, and she actually called out for regulators across the world to get together to figure out how do we clamp down on this? Because the whole financial system has been erected to ensure that you are not allowed to do that. And that's what I see. I mean, leave aside like big tech regulation. I think this whole Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, the whole anonymous nature of which money can be, you know, transferred from one place to the other in the quantums of millions of dollars. I can't see how regulation is not going to clamp down on this extremely, extremely hard. Yeah, it's going to be a matter of technology. The use of technology that mm-hmm. is underlying this is fantastic, right? And PBOC is coming out with a digital yuan. I'm sure the US, ECB, etc. everyone will follow suit. But just the aspect of Bitcoin and Ether and a couple of others by itself is very questionable. I mean, we saw what happened to XRP a couple of weeks back where the price basically dropped like 90, 95% because the founders were sued potential anti-money laundering, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, it's going to be a very difficult space uh, for investors to truly make money in the long run, I feel. Okay, and since you've been in the tech world a long time, I'm going to put this to you. Hopefully you know something about it. I was reading a really interesting article about how people are locked out of their Bitcoin fortunes. So there's this guy, he's in San Francisco, he's a programmer, and because he can't remember his password, he's locked out of his Bitcoin fortunes worth $220 million. He's bought 7,002 Bitcoins. He bought it years ago. And what I found interesting was he saved his password to his digital wallet in something called an iron key. A small hard drive. Now, I don't know if you've ever used an iron key. I have not used an iron key because I don't invest in Bitcoin specifically for this reason, Michelle. If I got locked out of my DBS account because, I don't know, maybe my fingerprint got, uh, you know, shafted off slightly or whatever, all I have to do is literally walk across to the branch, show them my proof of ID, and this is who I am. Thank you very much. Let me take my savings back. Over here... This is the scary thing, right? Like uh, with decentralization comes a lot of responsibility on the unique individual. And this, I read this article just yesterday, actually, and it's really funny. You know? It's really sad. It really is. He's got two tries funny. left to figure out his password. <laughs> two tries. But you're absolutely right. This highlights the whole problem of decentralization. Oh, my goodness. It is. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Arun. It's been totally wonderful speaking with you. We'll check in with you next week. My pleasure. Thank you for having me, Michelle. Take care. You too. He's Arun Pai and he's Chief Strategy Officer at Flow joining me this morning in Money and Me. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.